Chapter Twenty Six of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Twenty Six. They say miracles are past, and we have our philosophical persons to make modern and familiar things supernatural and causeless. Hence it is that we make trifles of terrors, ensconcing ourselves into seeming knowledge when we should submit ourselves to an unknown fear. All's well that ends well. All attempts to reanimate the lifeless form proved unavailing, and the horror and consternation that reigned in the castle of Glenfern may be imagined but cannot be described. There is perhaps no feeling of our nature so vague, so complicated, so mysterious as that with which we look upon the cold remains of our fellow mortals the dignity with which death invests even the meanest of his victims inspires us with an awe no living thing can create the monarch on his throne is less awful than the beggar in his shroud the marble features the powerless hand the stiffened limbs oh who can contemplate these with feelings that can be defined these are the mockery of all our hopes and fears, our fondest love, our fellest hate. Can it be that we now shrink with horror from the touch of that hand which but yesterday was fondly clasped in our own? Is that tongue whose accents even now dwell in our ear forever chained in the silence of death? These black and heavy eyelids, are they forever to seal up in darkness the eyes whose glance no earthly power could restrain? And the spirit which animated the clay, where is it now? Is it wrapped in bliss, or dissolved in woe? Does it witness our grief and share our sorrows? Or is the mysterious tie that linked it with mortality forever broken? And the remembrance of earthly scenes, are they indeed to the enfranchised spirit as the morning dream, or the dew upon the early flower? Reflections such as these naturally arise in every breast. Their influence is felt, though their import cannot always be expressed. The principle is in all the same, however it may differ in its operations. In the family assembled round the lifeless form that had so long been the centre of their domestic circle, grief showed itself under various forms. The calm and manly sorrow of the son, the saint-like feelings of his wife, the youthful agitation of Mary, the weak superstitious wailings of the sisters, and the loud uncontrolled lamentations of the daughters, all betokened an intensity of suffering that arose from the same source, varied according to the different channels in which it flowed. Even the stern Lady Maclaughlan was subdued to something of kindred feeling, and though no tears dropped from her eyes, she sat by her friends and sought in her own way to soften their affliction. The assembled guests, who had not yet been able to take their departure, remained in the drawing-room in a sort of restless solemnity peculiar to seasons of collateral affliction, where all seek to heighten the effect upon others and shift the lesson from themselves. Various were the surmises and peculations as to the cause of the awful transition that had just taken place. "'Glenfern was nay like a man that would hae gone off in this gate,' said one. I dinna ken," said another. "I've noticed a change on Glenfern for a gay while noo. I agree with you, sir," 
said a third. In my mind, Glenfern's been droopin' very sair ever since the last tryst. At Glenfern's time o' life, it's no surprisin', remarked a fourth, who felt perfectly secure of being fifteen years his junior. Glenfern was na that old, neither, retorted a fifth, whose conscience smote him with being years his senior. But he had a deal of vexation for his family, said an elderly bachelor. You often see a hailstoot mound like our poor friend, going like the snuff o' a cannel, coughed up a snicky gentleman. He was I a toom boss-looking man ever since I mind him, wheezed out a swollen asthmatic figure. And he took no care o' himsel, said the laird of Pedalchass. His diet was nay what it should ha' been at his time o' life, and he was oot and in, up and doon, in all weathers, wet and dry. Glenfern's doings had nothing to do with his death, said an ancient gentlewoman with solemnity. They maun ken little what ne'er heard the bod word of the family, and she repeated in Gaelic words to the following effect. When lo thou shalt turn to a lin, in Glenfern ye'll hear the din, when frae Benick they shuld the sna, or Glenfern the leaves will fall. When foreign gear grows on Benick tap, then the fir tree will be Glenfern's hap. And no, mum, will ye be so good as point out the meaning o' this freet? said an incredulous-looking member of the company. For when I passed low chow this morning, I neither saw nor heard her I lin, and frae this window we can see Benick wi' his white nightcap on and he wad hae little to do that would try to shoal it off. It's neither o' the still water nor the stay bray that the word was spoke, replied the dame with a disdainful frown. They take nae part in our doings. But can't ye nae that Lord Chow himself had tinned his sight in a cataract, and is nae there dool and den and uck in Glenfern the day? And can't ye nae that Benick had his old white pow shaven, and that he's getting a jeezy for Edinburgh? And I's a warren. He'll be in his bra wig the very day that Glenfern'll be laid in his deal coffin. The company admitted the application was too close to be resisted. But the same skeptic, who, by the by, was only a low-country merchant, elevated by purchase to the dignity of a highland laird, was seen to shrug his shoulders, and heard to make some sneering remarks on the days of second sights and such superstitious nonsense being passed. This was instantly laid hold of, and amongst many others of the same sort, the truth of the following story was attested by one of the party as having actually occurred in his family within his own remembrance. As Duncan Macrae was one evening descending Ben Bullock, he perceived a funeral procession in the vale beneath. He was greatly surprised not having heard of any death in the country, and this appeared to be the burial of some person of consequence from the number of the attendants. He made all the haste he could to get down, and as he drew near, he counted all the lairds of the country except my father, Sir Murdoch. He was astonished at this till he recollected that he was away to the low country to his cousin's marriage but he felt curious to know who it was, though some unaccountable feeling prevented him from mixing with the followers. He therefore kept on the ridge of the hill right over their heads, and near enough to hear them speak, but although he saw them move their lips, no sound reached his ear. He kept along with the procession in this way till it reached the castle-dorchard burying-ground, and there it stopped. 
the evening was close and warm and a thick mist had gathered in the glen while the tops of the hills shone like gold not a breath of air was stirring but the trees that grew round the burying ground waved and soft and some withered leaves were swirled round and round as if by the wind the company stood a while to rest and then they proceeded to open the iron gates of the burying ground but the lock was rusted and would not open then they began to pull down part of the wall and duncan thought how angry his master would be at this and he raised his voice and shouted and hallooed at them but to no purpose nobody seemed to hear him at last the wall was taken down and the coffin was lifted over and just then the sun broke out and glinted on a new-made grave and as they were laying the coffin in it it gave way and disclosed sir murdoch himself in his dead clothes and then the mist grew so thick duncan could see no more and how to get home he knew not but when he entered his own door he was bathed in sweat and white as any corpse and all that he could say was that he had seen castle dorchet's burying the following day continued the narrator he was more composed and gave the account you have now heard and three days after came the intelligence of my father's death he had dropped down in a fit that very evening when entertaining a large company in honor of his cousin's marriage and that day week his funeral passed through glenvalloc exactly as described by duncan macrae with all the particulars the gates of the burying ground could not be opened part of the wall was taken down to admit the coffin which received some injury and gave way as they were placing it in the grave even the low country infidel was silenced by the solemnity of this story and soon after the company dispersed every one panting to be the first to circulate the intelligence of glenfern's death but soon oh how soon dies in human hearts the thought of death even the paltry detail which death creates serves to detach our minds from the cause itself so it was with the family of glenfern their light did not shine inward and after the first burst of sorrow their ideas fastened with avidity on all the paraphernalia of affliction mr douglas indeed found much to do and to direct to be done the elder ladies began to calculate how many yards of broad hemming would be required and to form a muster-roll of the company with this improvement that it was to be ten times as numerous as the one that had assembled at the christening while the young ones busied their imaginations as to the effect of new mornings a luxury to them hitherto unknown mrs douglas and mary were differently affected religion and reflection had taught the former the enviable lesson of possessing her soul in patience under every trial and while she inwardly mourned the fate of the poor old man who had been thus suddenly snatched from the only world that had ever engaged his thoughts her outward aspect was calm and serene the impression made upon mary's feelings was of a more powerful nature she had witnessed suffering and watched by sick-beds but death and death in so terrific a form was new to her she had been standing by her grandfather's chair her head was bent to his her hand rested upon his when by a momentary convulsion she beheld the last dread change the living man transformed into the lifeless corpse the countenance but now fraught with life and human thoughts in the twinkling of an eye was covered with the shades of death it was in vain that mary prayed and reasoned and strove against the feelings that had been thus powerfully excited one object alone possessed her imagination 
the image of her grandfather dying, dead, his grim features, his ghastly visage, his convulsive grasp, were ever present by day and by night. Her nervous system had received a shock too powerful for all the strength of her understanding to contend with. Mrs. Douglas sought by every means to soothe her feelings and divert her attention, and flattered herself that a short time would allay the perturbation of her youthful emotions. Five hundred persons, horse and foot, high and low, male and female, graced the obsequies of the Laird of Glenfern. Benwick was there in his new wig, and the autumnal leaves dropped on the coffin as it was borne slowly along the vale. End of chapter 26 Recording by Patty Cunningham